When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening, we are so glad that you could join us today as we record on Monday, September the 9th, and we recap the first Virginia Tech football win of the season that came on Saturday against Old Dominion. Our crew today, behind the scenes producing, we've got Malcolm, yes, he's related, Stewart, on the podcast set. We've got our founder and our head honcho, Will Stewart, managing editor, Chris Coleman, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Gentlemen, first win in the books. How was your first weekend at Lane Stadium? We'll start with you, Will. Uh, it was nice. Uh, most of my friends came into town. We tailgated somewhere different, uh, which was I don't, I don't want to describe it because then I'll be promoting someone's money-making venture. <laughs> but it was uh, it was good, yeah. CC, good. Uh, saw some people I hadn't seen in a while. Um, thought the crowd was better than I thought it was going to be. Cause when, yeah. I, when I looked at uh, StubHub last week and saw the tickets that were available, there were like front row seats on the 50-yard line available for like 60 bucks on YouTube, right? So yeah. I, I thought, man, this crowd's going to be light, but you know, it turned out to be better than I thought it would be. But I, but I know I, I had a uh, I had a lot of friends coming, so I, th- I thought this one would be pretty good. It's it's the Furman game and the Rhode Island game. They're going <laughs> to no be, ru- be rough. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a lot to get to today on the Tech Sideline podcast. We will recap the Old Dominion game. We'll talk about Ryan Willis and how he fared in game two of the season compared to Boston College. We'll talk about the defense registering five sacks. We'll get to all that in just a little bit. This week and every week, TSL Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. We'll get into the Old Dominion recap, but first, we've got a Stick It In Ale update and a podcast set update with Will. Yeah, let's do the podcast set first. So we finally got the side curtains. <laughs> they're they're kind of jerry-rigged right now to uh, to to hang, and uh, so, so the video should look a lot better. Uh, we're having technical difficulties, so we're not on Facebook Live today, um, but we'll archive this over to YouTube. We got a really cool new intro produced by V Tim Hokey eighty five. He does the hype videos every year, and he did a really neat intro. That if you're watching on uh, YouTube, then you've already seen the intro, and it's really cool. Um, so the next steps are uh, really the next step, I guess, is going to multiple cameras. So that'll be the next thing we work on is adding cameras on the side so we can do ISO shots on you guys and on me. And the lighting has to get vastly better, so I'm going to be watching me some YouTube videos here in the coming weeks to to figure out the lighting part of the equation. But uh, yeah, we're excited. It's uh, we're 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 getting closer and closer, and a little, like I say, a little bit better every week. 
Absolutely. And then stick it in ale. I know it was uh, in full force this weekend for the first home game of the year. CC, you were at Champs, and you had one there, correct? Yeah, that's right. They had some in cans at Champs, and they've got them at uh, most bars around Blacksburg now. And uh, not so much at Kroger and places like that anymore because they sold out very, very quickly. Yeah, uh, I got a list on Friday of 25 places in uh, in Southwest Virginia, meaning Roanoke and Christiansburg and Blacksburg, where the beer was being carried, and uh, posted it on the website. And it didn't last long. I, w- I went down to Vintage Cellar Friday afternoon. I mean, this stuff got delivered Friday, and I went down to Vintage Cellar Friday afternoon. Uh, I don't know, probably about three o'clock in the afternoon. He had five cases. He was already sold out of it. And I went down. I walked down to Kroger on uh, South Main because I wanted to take a picture of myself with the the stick it in ale display. And I walk in there, and there's there's like five six packs left. <laughs> I went to Kroger at four, and <clears throat> somebody had just literally bought the last pack, so yeah. they had to get an emergency <clears throat> shipment of forty more cases on Friday evening. So what happened there was they couldn't get it to scan at the at the I believe it was a Christiansburg food line, mm. and they had ordered forty cases. Uh, Kroger had ordered thirty. South Main Kroger had ordered thirty. So the 40 cases that were supposed to go to Food Line in Christiansburg got moved over to uh, Kroger in Blacksburg. Um, there was a total of about 275 cases distributed around the area, and that just, I don't think that was enough. Um, that's fine, though. Um, that, that's not a criticism, because they, they, by their nature, have to be a little conservative in distributing something new. And it sold out uh, pretty quickly at most places, probably all places. Now, it was carried on tap in two different places this weekend, uh, um, Tots and uh, a Kroger in uh, Roanoke, which, of course, engenders a response, Kroger's got beer on tap? (laughs) And my response is like, have you been to Kroger lately? I mean, they've had a bar in the one in Blacksburg, uh, in the South Main one for a while. So I assume it's a similar setup in uh, uh, the one in Roanoke. But there will be, it'll be on tap in more places this week. I think the delay there is it's just a little slower to get it to get it on tap at bars and the bars also like to have a tap handle and of course we have tap handles for it but I'm not sure what the story with the tap handles was so it will be on tap at more places in this area. So real quick Tech Sideline's gotten to do so many neat things since its existence from from Hokie Central to Tech Sideline everything in between would you have ever envisioned that you would have your own beer in 2009 is that still pretty surreal? It, it is, and and you've heard me describe the story of how it came about. It wasn't like it was this in-depth business case analysis. <laughs> Actually, we were tailgating, drinking other types of beer while we came to this conclusion. So, yeah, yeah, and you know, and and, and Beltway Brewing Company, Beltway Brewing that that makes the beer, they were really the ones that initiated yeah, this. Yeah, you know, so so we we've told that story before, and I won't get into it again. But um, you know, the, it's uh, we started looking about a year ago to to go beyond just doing written contract content and trying to sell subscriptions. I wanted to evolve what we do into something else. That's why we have this podcast set. That's why we're getting into video. Um, I thought the, the beer was a really neat thing. It's all about, so for us, it's all about, yeah, it's fun, but we don't make any money off of it, as I've said more than once. And any profit we get from the beer goes to uh, I need to be careful how I phrase things. Uh, let's just say that we are donating a lot of money to a program at a large university near you, and the profits from the sale of this beer go towards funding that stream of donations. <laughs> um, I'm just leery to say, 
you know, beer and that name in the same sentence. I don't <laughs> want to do that. But it does. So on the can, it says it supports our philanthropic efforts. And, and absolutely, it does. That's what all the profit goes towards. We don't make any money off this. We just get the hype off of it. And the other thing that's really cool is, is the community that it creates among Hokey fans, you know. <laughs> so I, <clears throat> I went into Kroger at about, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I saw a couple who had a six-pack, so I started talking to them. And while I'm standing there next to the <clears throat> rapidly dim diminishing display, people are coming up, and they're grabbing – they're grabbing a six-pack, and they're looking around like they're stealing something, like, ooh, I got it. And then they're walking <laughs> off. <laughs> um, so it's really cool. So Sticking and Ale is off to a great start, just like the Hokies are off to a good start at Lane Stadium this year with their 31-17 win against Old Dominion. Perfect transition in now as we yeah, break I down. I think Sticking is probably off to a better start than Virginia Tech, <laughs> even though both were winners. Yes, yes, absolutely. It was a good weekend for both. Hokies, 31-17 winners uh, in Lane Stadium against the Monarchs. They, Not that they would say it, but they do get revenge from their loss in 2018 to Old Dominion. Guys, I'll ask you the same question that I asked you last week, and I think you know it's coming. Give me one word that describes this win for Virginia Tech. I'll start with CC. Bland, I think, is the word I used in my article yesterday. Yeah, it was just a bland my, game. You know, it was, it was – Tech was clearly the better team. I mean, they were up 24 to 3, and quite honestly, after that, you just look up the scoreboard a few minutes later, and it was 24 to 17, and you don't really know how you got to that point. But up to that point, you know, that was Tech scored on their opening drive of the third quarter, right? And yep. it, at that point, Old Dominion only had about 75 about yards. About 75, of 74 was, so, or 75 right, yards it was, of offense. So it was 24 to 3 Tech, and ODU had 75 yards of total offense. And I ran the numbers. Tech had about 315 yards of offense. Right. So, so at that point, it was, it was domination. Every, I, everything was going according to plan. I, I picked 41 to 10 in my game preview, and it looked like we were on track for something very similar to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know. It was, it was like the last, basically the last 20 minutes of the game were bad and the first 40 minutes were pretty good for the most part um yeah so there, there was really uh, i mean i don't know you know after tech went up 24 to 3 odu went on a, a an approximately 75 yard drive to score virginia tech very quickly three and out i don't think they turned it over on that drive correct I oh think. no that was the that was, i believe that was the one where uh the pass interference went down that they did not get called could be yeah, that, yeah they were up 24 to 10 when when that pass interference that did not get called happened occurred on Old so. Dominion, so and then Tech had to punt. And then ODU responds with another oh, approximately seventy-five yard right. drive. So the yardage totals go from, you know, roughly three fifteen to seventy to more like three thirty to two twenty. Right. Score gets a lot more even. It's twenty-four seventeen. So this has been a pattern the last couple of years. Last year it was the third, third quarter. quarter. You know, uh, in week one it was the second quarter. That stretch in the second quarter. And for this, it was, you know, a stretch in the third quarter where – and, and a lot of the same hallmarks. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally um, stealing Chris's turn at the mic here. But uh, a lot of those same hallmarks showed up, missing tackles, mm -hmm. you know, giving up long runs, that sort of thing. So, anyway, back to, back to Chris commenting on the game. No, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I would estimate that at least half of Tech's missed tackles came in that stretch in the second half when ODU scored those two touchdowns. You're just like, what in the world is going on? Five sacks for the Tech defense. It could have been eight or ten. Really could have been eight or ten. There were a lot of TFLs that got left on the field there, by there the were. Hokie defenders that, sure that were. they were in position to make right. plays. Uh, Bud did a lot more, 
I don't want to use the term exotic, but he did send more guys. He sent blitzes thing like things like that. Jamari Connor in particular had a fun day, mm-hmm. getting ready, getting a run around in the backfield. Yeah, I thought, Jermaine Waller got a boundary corner blitz, yeah, that's right, that's a right. boundary corner sack. And this is stuff you um, didn't see against Boston College right, in, uh, in game one. Yeah, so he dialed it up, definitely dialed it up more. Uh, now the good news is, you know, you mentioned Virginia Tech; they left a lot of tackles for loss on the field, and you're absolutely right. At least they weren't in the position to make those plays. They weren't in the position to make those plays last year for the most part. Um, so if, I guess if it's not one thing, it's another. But, you know, when I see Jalen Griffin miss a tackle for loss, I'm like, yeah, it stinks that he missed it. But I'm also excited that we actually have a defensive end that can get himself in a position to make a tackle for loss now. So, Well, he had one very athletic play sack. where he uh, – I think it was him who flushed uh, Stone Smart out and Smart's – running out to the flat, looking downfield like, hey, I'm going to pick me up some yardage. And, and Griffin made a very athletic play to dive and, and get him. I, think, get a I don't know that there's another defensive on the team, end on the team who could have made that play. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Jalen Griffin's a guy, you know, at 6'1", 260 pounds. He's, he's, got, he's got size. I think he's certainly a good enough athlete. I think he's got the highest ceiling of those defensive ends. I, I really do. And the fact that he didn't even play the position in the spring, they didn't move him there until August. Um, so he's actually made rapid progress considering the short amount of time he's been there. He, he's a guy that I, I personally, I, I'd be starting him. But if you think about it, I don't so know. They, this, they, they currently start Belmar and uh, – um, Well, it would be Garbutt, but uh, he's hurt. So right, right. it's uh, Javon Beckton starting right, on the right. left. You're right. And Beckton's um, looked okay, but, but yeah um, – and and Belmar was better against ODU, but he's that it's ODU. They can't block anybody. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I really believe Griffin is should be the guy there. But you know, is our, is Tech's defensive staff necessarily thinking long term right now? Well, yeah. probably not. So we'll. Uh, <laughs> that's, all, that's all another topic. We, I was going to say we we are going to break down some position groups, and I have the defensive line as as one of those. So yeah. we'll get to that a little bit more in depth. In a minute, as we break down Virginia Tech's win over Old Dominion on the Tech Sideline podcast presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. Last week, your word was blah. This week, it's... It, it was, well, you know, Chris said bland, and I was kind of like, eh, um, you know, I, I don't know that I have one word for it, but um, I I did come out of that game thinking, and I'm, I'm not speaking for all Hokie fans, I'm speaking for me. I need to lower my expectations for this year's team. Um, I think there's a lot of discussion that's occurring right now around the program as an entirety. Um, and, and, man, we could probably spend half an hour or an hour talking about that. But I came out of it telling myself, you need to change your expectation level for this team. I went, you know, I, I, I've said this before, I drank the Kool-Aid. I was Kool-Aid man. Um, there were certain things I was looking for out of this team that if they happened, then um, I didn't think 10 wins was out of reach. I don't like the odds at Notre Dame and at Miami, particularly because of Miami's defense. Correct. Uh, yes, Miami's 0-2, but come on, it's their defense at home against Virginia Tech. So, so I'm putting two down as losses in the books. I'm like, you know, if, if some things happen and things break Tech's way, uh, 10, 10 wins is unlikely, but it's possible. I no longer think it's possible um, having, you know, and yes, these discussions change week after week, but we've watched two games and there were certain things I was expecting to see that I'm not seeing. So now I'm lowering my expectations. 
that's my takeaway from from this game and how and really from the first two games I'm not talking about this game the first two games um, so you know we could get into specifics of what does that mean how many wins am I thinking now who's tech gonna beat who's tech gonna lose to it's funny when you sit there and you say to yourself oh this is a and, and we've, we've watched this phenomenon for years you say to yourself eh, this is probably an eight win team then you got to sit down and pick you got to pick who they're going to lose to, and that's when it gets really difficult. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I don't know that I'm ready to go through that exercise or not. I just know that North Carolina has beaten South Carolina and Miami. UVA has has looked good. Mm, Pitt, not so much. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and I don't know what we're going to get out of Duke or Wake Forest, but there are more losses there. Well, there's already a BC loss. There are more losses than just Miami and Notre Dame, and so that's kind of what I'm thinking. And you part. also have to consider the fact that, you know, we talk about our story is going to change on a week-to-week basis to a certain extent. So is everybody else's. Right? Yeah. You know, everybody else, there's not going to be any consistent teams in the Coastal, in my opinion. Uh, so at one point you're going to be like, man, UVA looked bad this week. Tech could win that game. And then the next week you're going to be like, oh, man. there's no way Tech's going to win that game. So uh, the, the next yeah, part so. of that discussion is when UVA plays ODU in a couple of weeks. Right. If Everybody's they... going to compare that game statistically. They're going, to, they're going to say, oh, man, ODU had this amount of yards on UVA and they had this amount of yards against Tech. And let's... UVA beat them 54-3. to Right. You know, Tech only beat them 31. It's, it's called the transitive property of right. football, and it is not a mathematical law. It doesn't work. Right. Um, and so the other thing is you, you look at what UNC has been able to do. More and more game film is, is being put up for that freshman, freshman quarterback, quarterback that UNC's yeah. got. Yeah. And, and as the games go along, defensive coordinators will start to pick out what that kid can and can't do at this stage in his career, and it'll get harder for Hurricane North season's only just starting. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> there, there might be a rainy game there. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what, UNC fans showed up. They sold they that game out, and, yep. and that stadium was actually full. But well, they're excited about Mac Brown. Yeah, uh, and, and the recruiting, and, right. and now they got two wins to be excited about. Real, anyway. real quick, because I do want to move on. But speaking on the terms of the Coastal, I want to get your thoughts on this. I think one of the most interesting stats is how there's been eight different winners of the Coastal the last eight years. Will the Coastal ever have a couple of teams that dominate the division like Clemson and Florida State have? Why, why do you think it's been eight teams in eight years? Oh, man. Uh, I, th- I think Miami – over the ba- almost the last 20 years now, basically, uh, has underachieved in, as a program relative to what they did in the 90s and 80s. Uh, but honestly, though, if they've been doing that for 20 years now, can you honestly say that they're underachieving anymore, or is just, this just what Miami's going to be from here on out? I'd, I'd, I'd tend towards the latter, but I wrote that article years ago. Correct. Years Absolutely. Ago. Um, and I, I just there's nobody else in the Coastal that has the ceiling of Clemson or Florida State. The, the, the long-term ceiling from a recruiting perspective, from a donation standpoint, from the ability to fill up a big stadium, all that stuff. Culture. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, they have an SEC culture. Uh, you know, tech does to a certain extent, but not as much as those schools. Uh, you know, t- tech is closer to the SEC than pretty much everybody else in the ACC, with the exception of, of Miami and Clemson. Yeah. But uh, – that there, there are still some disadvantages that Tech has that those other two schools don't. So, I, I don't nec- I don't think I see anybody d- dominating the co- the coastal. I, just, I don't. I, there's there too there, there aren't enough advantages for each of those coastal division teams 
Well, I mean, let's take them. Uh, Duke, no. <laughs> Pitt, no. Uh, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, no. Um, Miami, if, if, if they get the right coach. But what is the right coach? I how do, how do you fix that culture? Uh, I don't, I don't the, know. Well, the article I wrote years ago, Evan, you weren't around for this. You were probably in middle school. It, it was called, it, I think it came out after the Nevin Shapiro stuff, and the title of it was Rotten to the Core. Mm-hmm. And what I was criticizing and pointing out in this article was that, that Miami's culture, their football culture, is not – it's just not what it was back in the day. You, you go back and, and so you look at how they played in the 80s and all the trash they talked and all that stuff. I hated that stuff. But by the same token, in, in kind of watching them over the years, the guys that played for them back then, as, as, as much as I didn't like their culture back then, it was a culture of hard work and attitude and achievement. They, those guys were not born on third thinking they hit a triple. Mm-hmm. They started at the plate and ran the bases. And the Michael Irvins and Warren Saps will tell you how hard they worked and how bad they wanted to win. And the point I made in this article was that they don't have teams full of players like that anymore at Miami. They got guys showing up just, hey, you know, I got the U on the side of my helmet. And, and this, this isn't an original criticism. Other people say the same thing. They just – they how are they going to find – that guy who's going to change that culture and get them all together and get them to achieve at their highest level every single year and it's going to take a special coach to overcome this every single year espn tells them reminds those miami players how good they are miami's back the u is back blah 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 so if you're a player you hear this year after year and you know you're between 18 and 22 years old you're at an impressionable age and it's easy to get your ego inflated and things like that and uh and ESPN keeps keeps doing it. I'm sure the Miami coaches they'd never say it because ESPN gives them a lot of money, obviously. Yeah. But I, I think I think the same thing kind of happened at Texas with the Longhorn Network and everything. The same thing has happened in the seven five seven to a to a lesser extent. Seven five seven players aren't they're they're just not quite as good as they used to be. People, Some people, people would, are people are motivated to make the climb up the mountain. Correct. It's difficult once you're there to handle and, and, right and. and and it's part of the you know the success of past Virginia Tech teams that were filled with seven five seven players has fed into that to a yeah. certain extent. I mean, I I see guys. I think that's what started. Absolutely. I mean, I, I see guys like Cam Chancellor tweeting things like, "Oh, they just breed them differently in the seven five seven. The seven five seven hasn't won a state championship since twenty fourteen. Yeah. Right. And Highland Springs beat uh, uh, Oscar Smith. Oscar Smith. Third, yeah, the the big win for Highland Springs. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I think kind of the same thing has happened there to at the high school level uh as to what's happened to miami on the college level uh and we're getting way off topic well, I, was, yeah, I'm I was about to i went down that and that's our recap inter- of virginia tech and old dominion right right yeah. yes yes um interesting uh interesting discussion there and it'll be safe you know that's an off-season podcast yes absolutely let's listen let's dive right into this uh, virginia tech and old dominion 31 17 final i want to start with ryan willis because i feel like willis was the uh, the guy that everyone was talking about after the Boston College game, he <laughs> yeah. turned the ball over four times. 16 of 28 through the air, 272 yards, two touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and no turnovers. Yeah, Will, one, one turnover. Oh, kind of fumble. Right. You're right. Yeah, yep. yeah um, that was an interesting play. Anyway. How did he respond, in your opinion, Chris? I, th- I thought, you know, that was the more of the Ryan Willis that I thought we'd see. Uh, he, he was better. Um, man, that throw he made to Grimsley. Uh, between the two defenders right on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, 
if you watch football on Sundays, you saw worse throws than that. Yeah. You know, uh, that was a that was vintage Ryan Willis, just an incredibly impressive physical play. Tell you what, the slants. Yeah. Man. Uh, he, he hit an RPO over the middle to uh, to Trey Turner at one point too, yeah. very similar to the one that Jackson hit a couple years ago for a touchdown against Boston College to Sean Sean Savoy. Yeah. Um, but. I think it was an RPO. If it, if it wasn't an RPO, it was just a straight-out play action. But I think it was an RPO. Right. Um, so, I, I saw some – you know, you saw some improvements there. Uh, but, you know, you expect there to be improvements there because you're playing against Old Dominion, right? But, uh, but yeah, it was a good rebound game for him, sure. Yeah, the, the coverage from Old Dominion wasn't that stout right. or, or that impressive. Right, But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, like I said, the, the, the middle-of-the-field passing game was re- – Really, the passing game in general was working well. Um, yeah, I had a couple drops that 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 made it worse. Than, you know, I thought, like I said, I thought in week one, the upperclassmen let some of the younger class, uh, younger players down because uh, I thought the younger players played probably as well as they could against BC. ODU was kind of the other way around. I thought, I, I thought, uh, I thought Willis did well, but gosh, he had that play where he threw to uh, Tavion Robinson and out on the flat, and there was just. Nobody there. <laughs> yeah, Robinson, Robinson dropped just it. dropped it. I mean, that guy could God, guy could have run. He'd for still a be long running, way, as they man. say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, if he caught that pass, man, that it probably would have been twenty-four to three at halftime. And then that first drive of the second half, it's thirty-one to three. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you, so then you're talking, you know, then ODU, ODU, ODU can't throw the ball, right? Then they start pressing. Well, they start pressing. They start throwing it, which they they can't do. Right. They can't do it. They can't throw the football. So. Sometimes, you know, one play, Tavion Robinson catches that pass and Tech scores a touchdown. Really, cha- it changes the complexion of the game in the second half as far right. as play calling and everything like that. Uh, but, yeah, I thought I thought Willis on the whole had a good rebound. Professor game. Stewart, give me a grade on Ryan Willis. We're going to be plus, A minus. Yeah. Uh, he did have a fumble, and uh, although I can't recount a list to you, as, as accurate as he was on many of his throws, there were there were a few where they were they were tough catches. Uh, that that may be too much to expect a college quarterback to throw twenty eight passes passes and put all of them on the money. Yeah. Um, but you know, good good game, and he did get uh, he got one read option right, picked up some nice yardage. Uh, I don't I, I'm not some guys can watch game film and and kind of get the whole picture. I have to be looking for specific things. I didn't really watch how much read option they ran and how he played in it, but. Uh, you know, overall, if they get performances like that out of him, they'll, they'll have a shot in a, in a lot of games. You guys had talked about the running game on our podcast Wednesday. I believe the the answer that Chris gave us, if we talked about a Virginia Tech win today on this podcast, what would we be talking about? And you said, I believe it was Kashawn King mm. in the running game, <laughs> who had a touchdown. McLeese, 20 carries for a grand total of 64, 64 yards. So – it was interesting to see what Virginia Tech would do with Jalen Holston out with an injury. What did you see from the running game, and what were some strengths and what are some things you're hoping to see that gets improved upon? I thought they would work a third guy in, and they didn't. Um, King took a hit early and yeah, it wasn't that. fumbled, but it was a fumble after the play, so it wasn't actually a fumble. And I thought watching it live that maybe he had gotten hurt because he didn't come back in the game to what, the fourth quarter? He didn't um, come back in the game at all. Uh, I saw him. Come in. Nope. No, I I went I watched through that game, and after you said that in your article, I went and rewatched the fourth quarter, and he wasn't there. It was all Deshaun McLeese and Caleb Stewart. Are you sure? Yep. 
go to the box score, do a control F, and Kashawn King is mentioned on that play where he dropped the football, and that's the last time. Oh, oh, that's just the box score. I saw, but, I, but I also went and looked, and I looked at the numbers, and huh. it was McLeese all the way. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Uh, so anyway, anyway, go ahead. Uh, one of us is blind. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, well the, uh, well, the media asked Fu after the game. They said something about you know King didn't right. come back in, and and Fu said, "Well, he's got to get up." But how did he phrase it, Evan? He said, "He's he needs to have the ball in his hands when he gets up." And what Fuente is saying is, when you get tackled, go to the ground, get up. You need to be in possession of the ball and toss it to the ref. What Fuente? That was code for Fuente saying he dropped the football. He nearly fumbled and turned it over. Right. And, and, you, and, you know, so it's early second quarter, and that's the end of Kashawn King for the game. And it's all Deshaun McLeese, and then McLeese fumbles. He's out, and there's Caleb Stewart. And McLeese isn't, isn't big enough to handle 20 carries. Uh, but, you know, I, I was thinking that whether anybody got benched or anybody got hurt or anything like that, I thought the third back would be worked in. I didn't know whether it was going to be Caleb Stewart or Terrius Wheatley or, or whatever. But at this point, it looks like Tech only has confidence in two running backs is the way I well, see Well, it's hard it. to say what the plan was because King got sat down at the beginning of the second quarter. Well, if they, well, and that's what I'm saying. If they were going to play a third running back, they would have done it. They would have rotated it in with McLeese. And, right, and exactly. They uh, yeah, yeah and, they, and they didn't until McLeese fumbled himself and they put in Stewart, who I guess got one carry. Yeah, uh, yep. But uh, – so, yeah, I was surprised that there was not a third running back at it. But I guess we do know now that that guy is Stewart. If there looks that way. Looks that way. Uh, Wheatley just – he had that shoulder injury uh, and just hasn't been able to get big enough, I don't think. Uh, nice you know, kickoff return, though. Yeah, it was nice Which was, was going to lead me in. Before, you know, ODU down 24-3. They score two consecutive touchdowns. All of a sudden, it's a one-possession game in the second half. He takes the kickoff all the way into Old Dominion territory down to the 18-yard line. We have, you know, last year we talked a lot about punt returners, kickoff returners, and guys having trouble fumbling the football. What a win it felt like for the special teams. And Wheatley almost kind of turned the direction of how that second half might have been going with that return, which did lead to a touchdown. It was 24-17 to at that time. And I still didn't feel, like, unsafe. I was just more like, Come on, guys. Come on. Get, get it together. Right. You know, right. Yep, yep, but it was 24-3 sure. a few minutes ago. You're way better than this. Uh, you just you don't want to give a team like Old Dominion belief, obviously. And they were feeling some belief right there. So it was great, yes, when we right. did that. Uh, it turned the momentum back in Tech's way. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was fairly early fourth quarter. If, if they get a stop on Virginia Tech and get the ball back, you know, at that point their game plan, uh, to your point earlier about yeah. Tech – being up by two scores, three scores, four scores, yeah. and it changing their play calling. It hadn't changed Old Dominion's play calling. Mm-hmm. They they were they were doing a lot of running with the quarterback. Good runner. Um, Tech started missing some tackles. At that when it was twenty four to seventeen, ODU had not changed their game. Absolutely. Plan. And playbox playbook is still wide open. You got every option. Yeah, and if, and if they get a stop, it's 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 anybody's ball game. So you're right. That is a big sequence. And and Tech immediately made something of it you get the 71 yard kickoff return boom boom touchdown and it changes the way the rest of the game is played Terrius Wheatley a guy who was a, a jet sweep guy who we talked about last year and it feels like he's kind of cemented himself in that in that kickoff return role so good to see Beamer ball the special teams have a little bit of success against Old Dominion on I'll Saturday tell you, man, what's, so. what's, what's going through my mind is is I wish that had been Cole Beck with that football right then because that <laughs> was a nice yeah. seam wide open he didn't get touched 
he got outside on the defense and yeah, that was the best blocking you've seen on a kickoff yeah. return attack in a while. Uh, I mean, that was a and, straight and line had, run. Right, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Beck would have taken that thing to the house, man. <laughs> okay, was, I just uh, I put it out there. <laughs> I believe I saw a tweet that he, Cole Beck was recognized for uh, for track on the no, field. The track during, team was, was recognized. Yeah, yeah. Right. part of the track team. So um, Let's talk about, I think, what everyone really is talking about this game. Last week it was the offense and Willis. This week I feel like the highlight – in my opinion, was was the receiving core and the fact that it just feels like every week, granted we're two weeks in, there's somebody stepping up, whether it was Grimsley and his unbelievable catch to Phil Patterson uh, to Trey Turner. It just feels like there's a new guy each and every possession. Before I ask you about the receiving core as a whole, what did you think of Grimsley's one-handed bobbling catch to the ground for a touchdown? Somebody told me, and I, I haven't looked this up on PFF yet or anything, somebody told me he only played nine snaps. Grimsley? Yeah. Mm. Or nine offensive snaps. So if that's true, then he had the one-handed catch for a touchdown. He had uh, the long play. Down the long on the play, side. yeah. So he was hitting on a pretty high percentage of, uh, of good plays there. Yeah. You know, so uh, so that that's interesting. Now, one of the things we heard about the receivers during the month of August is they were all banged up. And we've seen Damon Hazleton not play because of injury. Mm-hmm. We saw Trey Turner come up lame with a hamstring against Boston College. Uh, if Grimsley only played five, five snaps against ODU, it's probably because he's not 100%. So, yes, this is a good wide receiver core. But uh, thank goodness it's a fairly deep wide receiver core, too, if so many guys are going to be hurt, right? Because in general, we've seen Caleb Smith do a good job, but he's still just a redshirt freshman. Yeah. Uh, so we're starting two freshmen at wide receiver. So think about it. The, the second half the other day, Starting a, fr- a, tr- a true freshman in the slot, a true a redshirt freshman on the outside, and then you've got a true freshman at right guard, a true freshman at center, and a lot of times a true freshman at tight end on on Eric Gallo, Eric with Gallo, Eric Gallo. Yeah. who um, played a fair amount, a fair amount. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I want to get Damon Hazelton back pretty badly as as Tech's most experienced receiver uh redshirt junior guy who led the team in receiving last year uh i, I think the receivers have been good uh but i i think they can be better too and of course now some of that is uh you know willis with that rough first game against boston college uh so i think they've been good but they've also they also left some yardage out on the field a couple times against old dominion yeah i think without question the, the passing game is a strength of of the team yeah uh pass blocking was a lot better again mm-hmm. it's odu but uh, they, they did do a better job of picking up blitzes. I thought McLeese did a good job. He did. In, he the, did. in the blocking against the blitz. Um, so, definitely the strength of the team. I, I th- You look at the box score, what's interesting is the final total of yards receivers finished with, a lot of those yards were off of one big play. So, Tavion Robinson, who leads the team in receptions, two mm-hmm. games through the freshman, 62 yards as long was 32. Trey Turner, 60 yards. His long was 32 as well. Grimsley, 45 yards. 36 yards was his long big play. Uh, Phil Patterson, 44 yards. His long was 20. Even Cale Smith, 32 yards. His was 19. So it feels like when the receivers are making plays from this game, it was for big chunks of yards. And Tech is one of the best teams in the country and plays over 30-plus yards so far this year. And we saw them took a st- take a step forward last year in generating more big plays. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like teams that average 500 yards and 50 points a game or going down the field five yards at a time. No, they're breaking off big chunks. That's how you generate that much yardage. Well, it's the Oklahoma example. Uh, absolutely. Virginia, Virginia Tech and Oklahoma, there was a year you studied where they were very similar, except except Oklahoma had a ton of big plays. That's absolutely. In addition to the run-of-the-mill stuff that most teams have. Yeah, that's absolutely it. So, uh, 
you know, I, I think yeah, there, I think what I did is is I analyzed how many plays they ran compared it to how many. It's not that they ran their offense any faster. Both teams ran pretty much the same amount of plays right, per right. game. It's just a lot they of theirs just, were for a lot of yards. Yeah, exactly. And so it makes it so when you when you throw a pass to a receiver and he breaks off a sixty yard run, it just makes their offense seem like it's running faster than right. it actually is, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I I'm it's good to see Tech generate more big plays in the passing game, not only, you know, so far this year but last year. They if they if they could get somebody to do that in the running game, then they'd have a dynamic offense. But that just doesn't look like it's gonna happen and that's probably the biggest uh that's that's my biggest takeaway this week is I, I think the run blocking probably wasn't as bad as people thought it was. Uh, I, I do think a couple of the older players, and by older players on the offensive line, I mean sophomores, right. redshirt sophomores, yeah. right? Because uh, that, that literally is Tech's oldest players on the offensive line right now. I don't think they played as well as, like, Doug Nestor or Brian Hudson, uh, some of the younger guys. Um but again, still, it's running backs aren't making anybody miss for the umpteenth year in a row. And that was one of the big differences in the game was that uh, uh, in the rushing totals for the game, ODU, ODU had over 200 yards rushing. Virginia Tech had about 130. Uh, tech, tech runners were not making tacklers miss in the hole. And uh, I'm not saying ODU was making tacklers miss in the hole. Some of them were just missed tackles. Right. But they were getting through that, that unblocked defender right. more than Virginia Tech was. Yeah. Tech scored 31 points on offense. We just broke down the offensive side of the ball, and Tech's winning against Old Dominion. We'll step aside for a timeout here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we talk some defense and wraps things, wrap things up as we break down Virginia Tech's win over Old Dominion. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Our thanks to Jonathan Fisher and his team at the Fisher Law Firm for being the sponsors of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We've got Malcolm. Yes, he's related to Stewart behind the scenes producing. Will Stewart, Chris Cullen. My name is Evan Hughes. We're all on set. We're breaking down Virginia Tech's win over Old Dominion this weekend. We quickly started to break it down earlier in the podcast. I want to go back to it. The defensive line and the defense as a whole wrapping up Old Dominion five times, five sacks, an improvement from Old Dominion. Will, I'll start with this. It feels like the group that Everyone's kind of excited about because there's talent there, but they've got they need a little bit of chemistry and time to gel that defensive line. Did they take steps forward from the Boston College game, and how so? Good question. That was not an area I watched very closely when I was looking at game film, but so so impressions without really studying that part of the game. Uh, saw a little bit out of the defensive tackles, but I think less than than what we saw against Boston College. I remember against Boston College seeing Deshaun Crawford break through the line a couple of times, seeing Pollard and Kendricks be very active, and, and I think Pollard actually did have one of the sacks in this game. He did. He, no, he missed. He's had one of the missed sacks, actually. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so so um, probably didn't see as much out of the defensive tackles. Uh, we'll, we'll go and look at the grades and see if I'm being fair or not. Um, You're being fair. Am I? Okay. Yes. Uh, so that's uh, – um, it, it – 
you can, you know, I, I, the Nick, I don't want to compare them to Lions past. I, I just told you at the beginning of the podcast, I need to change my expectations for this team. Um, so, you know, Chris addressed it earlier. Uh, Jalen Griffin, uh, I think Javon Becton is showing. I see him. I notice him out there. It's not like he's getting buried and pushed off the line or anything like that. Uh, it's a it's a group I th- I think just needs to keep working and getting better to to resort to coach speak. Yeah, I mean that that's accurate. Nobody wants to hear that because it's a boring cliche answer and it requires time. But that that's they're the, young man. That that's the only thing you can do if you want to compare these defensive tackles to any past group. Compare them to the two thousand two group, which was so young and so banged up that by the end of the year they were starting two freshmen at defensive tackle. Yeah, Jonathan Kevin Lewis. Kevin, Lewis. Uh, well, jo- Kevin was older. Kevin right? was older. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Lewis and Tim Sandage were starting for the second half of that year. At defensive and they were tackle. also playing. Who was the undersized guy they used to play uh, back Jason then? Jason Lawless. Jason Lawless. Uh-huh, yeah, like two hundred fifty pounds or something right, like right. that. Uh, and that second half of the season did not go well. And right. Jonathan Lewis was a great football player who got drafted. But as a, as a true freshman, he was not a great football player. Yeah, he was yeah. part of a defensive line that got blown off the ball for the second half of the season. So, uh, But Tech ended up winning ACC, an ACC championship. So and we a did dominant. have a Rob Porsche sighting. We did. Rob we did. Uh, uh, Actually, he, he graded out pretty well. He was one of the defense's highest yeah, graders. He, I, have, I only looked at it for five minutes before we started this podcast, but uh, he appears to be one of the defense's highest graders on, on Saturday. Yeah, he had yeah. a half a sack for a yard. He had a couple tackles total. Limited time out there, but he was pretty active. They gave, they gave him a half tackle for loss and a half sack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that, that that's yeah. A, okay, yeah. but uh, yeah, he was in his time on the field. He was pretty productive. Same thing, Evan. Yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, in all seriousness, in I've looked at stats for twenty years, and it used to be different. Yeah, it did. Tackles for loss were counted separately from other tackles, I believe. For, for some, I assume that sacks were separate from. So yes. Yes, it's, it's. I can't quite tell you exactly how they've changed it over the years. And I forget but when they changed it. I want to say it was mid to the late nineties. Some. Sometime. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. So, the defensive line, guys like Rob Porsche, a couple others that, that stood out. Again, five sacks uh, for Virginia Tech. You had a sack from Jermaine Waller, half sack from Hewitt Belmar, full sack from Chamari Connor, uh, Jalen Griffin, and then half sacks from Mario Kendricks and Rob Porsche. Those are a couple of uh, a couple of names that are good to see stand yeah. out in the box score. Yeah, d- definitely uh, true. And so, five sacks total, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the box so score. Some of those is... I'd call some of those coverage sacks. There were, there were a couple yeah. that were. But there were also a couple of missed tackles where Tech would have had sacks. You're right. It could own. have been eight or it nine could, sacks, It could, it could have been. Uh, yeah. uh, and I think in every game you go back in time, if, if, if a team has five or six sacks, oh, sure, yeah, a couple of them were coverage sacks. Right. Uh, sure. uh, that's the same for, for every team out there. And that's uh, actually a good sign when yeah. Tech's getting coverage sacks. Correct. Yeah, that means your cornerbacks are covering someone. <laughs> so, uh, so, I mean, I, I think – Things have, are trending better there, but at the same time, it's extremely young group and it's old dominion. So you can't take too sure. much out of it. Um, but, you know, there were some positives. And then you look at the, uh, the the box score, the top three names that come up when it's tacklers. I'll give you guys a guess. Who, who are the top oh, it's three? It's Rayshard Ashby is number one, of course. Okay. Uh, hmm. Is Jamari Connor in there? He is not. Is he not? Is Reggie? Reggie's not oh, even. Devon, Devon Diablo's got there, it. Yeah. So Ashby had 10 total tackles. Dax and Divine Diablo both had eight. Jermaine Waller had seven. 
Uh, Hewitt had five, Belmar had five, Floyd had four, and Connor had four. Okay. Dax so, was credited with eight. He was credited with eight. D- Dax did not have a good he game. He had a rough day. He, he had, had a, a, one solo yeah. tackle and seven assists. When he, 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 was, uh, he, was the, he was the lowest rated defender per PFF. Uh, he, he, I was wondering he had He had an average game against Boston College, but through two games, he is actually, I believe, Virginia Tech's lowest rated defender this year. Yeah. So, which shows how bad he was. If, if he was average to above average against BC – to be the lowest graded player after two games means he was abysmal against Old Dominion, and there were there was one time in there where I, I literally like saw him running in the wrong direction. It was just well, he did, he did he did that here and there. He he missed some tackles in in the hole, uh, you know. And and Dax knows it. You watch him after these plays, and he he bangs his hand on the turf, right. and, and he he knows that he's leaving plays on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's also. Again, let's throw this out there. He's also playing out of position. Yeah. He's recruited at Virginia Tech to play Mike. There was no backer in the program good enough, so they moved him to backer. Yeah. And so you, you got to wonder. Yeah, yes, he's lost weight. He's lost weight. He's done everything he could possibly do to make himself a better football player for that position, but he's not a natural backer. Yeah. And he's not going to be. We might not see the real Dax Holyfield until he's a senior when Ashby is gone and they probably move him back to Mike and he starts at Mike. You know, and that all depends upon how the de- – not all of it, but it in part depends upon how the development of Allen Tisdale. Well, and I will. I also sit here and talk about the Tech defense in the future as if it's going to be have the same coaching staff. I have no idea what defense Tech will run after this year, the positions, what it's going to look like, anything. <laughs> the next guy might put Dax at defensive end <laughs> safety. Heck, who, right, knows, right. who the heck knows, man. Uh, <laughs> so, all this projecting going forward – it's hard to do when, when you don't know who the staff is going to be. So Let's finish the Old Dominion Virginia Tech breakdown on the defensive side with this name, and I think he kind of deserves the quote-unquote last word of the breakdown, of the last topic, and that's, that's Jermaine Waller. I was going to say Jermaine Waller, right? You know, I, and, and it's no disrespect at all. I don't mean this in a negative way about Caleb Farley. He's gotten a lot better. He's gotten a lot of – I would say he got a lot of momentum and hype right. coming out of camp. Yeah. But what a game for Jermaine Waller. Uh, he had six solo tackles, one assist, so seven total. Uh, he had that sack. A guy who's really stepped up in, in a position, I believe it was you who's talking about, that second cornerback spot coming out of camp. Kind of a little bit of a, of a question mark. It seems like he's really cemented himself in that secondary. I definitely, I certainly think he's the starter uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, they started Quill in there against BC, I think, or was it the other way around? Uh, I don't know. They were playing Quillen, and then Quillen gave up a touchdown and got hurt. Quillen's thing I, I is think, – I think Quillen started. I think you're okay, right. I think you're right. The, Quillen's thing last year was, you know, he wasn't playing at first, and then they finally started rotating him in. He's an excellent tackler. He's one of the few guys on the defense that you can say, man, that guy's a really good tackler. Yeah. Can't cover. As well. He's, he's, not, he's not a good cover. <laughs> he's not a good coverage corner. Uh, Waller is not as good – probably not as good a tackler as, as, as Quillen, though – Ideally, your t- cornerbacks don't go, go, don't get put right. in tackling positions very often. And, it's, it's, and it's, it's a it's a luxury to have a good tackling. Corner. Right, right, exactly. Uh, it should not be a necessity for your defense yeah. because your front seven should be. I tell you over. what, though, it changes if you've got a physical guy out there who can fight through a block and it, make it, a tackle yeah. in the perimeter running you, game and yeah. in the screen game. That that makes a huge difference yeah. to a defense. If you've got Brandon Flowers, it helps. Yeah, yeah. You know. um, uh, but yeah, Waller's good. Uh, I definitely think he should be the starter there going forward. He's a true sophomore. Even when Quillen comes back, Quillen's a senior he do, and who doesn't have, obviously, the ceiling yeah. of, of Waller. So I think it should be Waller. But, again, I'm thinking long-term. Our defensive staff is not necessarily thinking long-term. They're going to start whoever they think is the best player for now. Uh, I, I thought Saturday Farley and Waller were very similar, but Farley had a couple of pass interference. Right. 
But hey, man, if you're close enough to commit pass interference, you're doing something. Hey, right. at least you're there. Yeah, you can, exactly. you can work on that. The that's rest. an improvement from last year right. to a certain extent. Um, I thought they brought in Armani, Armani Chapman for a play. Did you catch that? Uh huh. And, and he I made a tackle. He, yeah, he made a good play. Might that, had a TFL or something. It like wasn't that. a TFL, but it, I think it stopped a drive, uh, and yeah. it, it was a short gain. That was his only defensive snap he played the entire game. Nice. And he made a good play. So he's he one graded for, way he's, out he's, on a he's, per play he's, basis. Well, he's one out of one, buddy. <laughs> good start to your career, Armani. So that'll kind of do it for our recap of Tech's thirty-one seventeen win over Boston College. Excuse me, rather over Old Dominion. I was driving in today. I was listening to. Uh, I was just listening to the radio, and I came up with this just on the drive over topic. I thought this would kind of be fun to close out a podcast, um, especially since we, that we'll have questions today. I'm thinking after Tech wins, we do a uh, who's the big man on campus after Tech football wins. So, who's walking around the drill field today in his Letterman jacket? Who's walking around as the big man on campus following the win against Old Dominion? Following the win against Old Dominion. Uh... If, if you are familiar with the program and the players, it, it may be Jermaine Waller. Um just because of the step up that he took. Could be Terry Sweetly for making the big play. There's not really any one guy, I don't think. Yeah, it's like I don't think anybody graded would have graded out like, let's just use PFF, for example, 80-plus, right. which is considered really good. I don't think anybody graded out that high. Right. Um, if you just consider, like, the big plays, which – it's probably what the majority of people know. It's like I don't think most people realize that Grimsley only Grimsley. played nine yeah. snaps. Yeah. But at least two of them were big time plays, you know. Yeah. So uh, he's a guy that could potentially fit, fit into that mold too. Yep. There you go, Jermaine Waller, big man on campus, the first one on the tech side. If, if you got to pick one for each side, it's Grimsley and Waller. There you go. Um, and then uh, so forty-eight hours from now, we'll be back. We'll be talking about the Paladins of Furman. Coming into Blacksburg this weekend as the Hokies look to make it two in a row. What is a paladin, Chris? Oh, it's a, it's a chivalrous knight from the Middle Ages. There you go. Not a grubby, obnoxious knight, but, Not a, chivalrous but a chivalrous knight. knight. Yeah. It's, it's like an upper-class knight. <laughs> I like it. So Furman will come into town Saturday. We'll break it down Wednesday. Tech Sideline podcast hopefully back around uh, 10 in the morning. We'll keep you updated on the message boards, or maybe we'll go earlier. Yeah, uh, we'll, uh, uh, we're eventually going to push it earlier. We need to figure out the technical issues with Facebook Live, uh, yeah. but hopefully we'll have that solved by Wednesday. Chris, you know what's coming? As I ask you always, what's coming up on TSL this week? Well, today he will have his Monday thoughts, which everyone looks forward yeah, to. Yeah, I don't know that it's going to be very good today. Mine wasn't very good yesterday. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's that's one of those games where, you know how you remember certain games and you don't remember others? Nobody's I'm ever going to remember the 2019 Virginia Tech Old Dominion game. So I'm, just, I'm, st- I'm struggling with that old thing of do I want to make sweeping statements about the program or do I just want to talk about this game? Right. And and I know, I, I can tell you from looking at the boards, a lot of people are making sweeping statements about the program and the coaching staff. Right. I'm not there yet. I, I, I don't want to do that. I it's exhausting to do that every game. Right. I'm not going to do that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have some question marks about certain issues there, but uh, – I, I, it's not the right time, yeah. Uh, in my opinion, right to write an article about. Let's it. let a few more play them, a few exactly. more games exactly. play out. So Monday thoughts coming up, and I'm sure a game preview will be out later in the week. It'll be and, out on uh, Wednesday. Also, we'll have some inside the number stuff. Oh, and we're also we're, of content. We're also going to announce this week that we're uh, again this year we're going to be ambassador for Drive for Twenty Five Day, which is September 25th through 27th. Actually, it's two and a half days. 
it's called the Blitz this year. So we're going to be an ambassador for the Blitz, and we'll let you guys know about that here soon. Fantastic. A lot of great stuff coming up. Of course, uh, be sure to check us out, techsideline.com, and you can follow us on social media at uh, techsideline on Twitter and Facebook, as well as on YouTube for those that are watching right now. Correct, and thanks again to V Tim Hokey 85 for the snazzy opening. And, and we're going to use it as closing this week, too, because he hasn't done, done end credits yet. So there we'll, we go. We'll segue out of here with the same cool video. Yeah. That's going to do it for this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast, breaking down Tech's 31 17 win over Old Dominion. For the man behind the scenes, Malcolm, yes, he is related. Stewart on the podcast set, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. My name is Evan Hughes, proud host of the Tech Sideline podcast. And so long. We'll talk to you Wednesday morning as we get set for Tech and Furman right here on the Tech Sideline podcast.